And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 161 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Negley, a time of recording 10.50 a.m. on September 29th, 2019. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, also joining me today, I have Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hey, everybody. And Tom O'Brien. Hello, everyone. For this week's episode, we are going to be talking about the world premiere of The Irishman at the New York Film Festival. We're going to be talking about the controversy surrounding the release of Joker coming out this weekend, finally. We're also going to be talking about the trailer for the Safdie Brothers' newest film starring Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems. We'll go over to polls, answer your questions. Definitely some good stuff to talk about. I want to start us off, though. I didn't get a chance to do this last week because we had such a jam-packed show. Uh, I want to start us off, though, by doing two things. One, I'll ask you guys uh, what you all caught up on this week, obviously, so you all get a chance to talk about that. But I want to start us off right off the bat by saying a big, big thank you to everyone that's ever reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. We officially crossed over 200 reviews. And that is a huge milestone, something that we have been marching towards for a long, long time now. The podcast has been running for three years, and we are very, very incredibly excited uh, by this. Uh, I mean, it's just something that, I mean, I'm incredibly proud of this show. I'm incredibly proud of the team here that comes on every week and discusses the stuff that we all love and cherish so dear. So a huge thank you to the fans and a huge thank you to all of you. Um, so thank you team for making this happen I think the show every week is something that um, obviously we know people look forward to and I look forward to as well so and we look forward to it as well thanks to you also Matt yes All right. so we'll start us off uh, with Casey Casey what did you catch up on this week anything good Um, yeah so Friday I saw Judy and unfortunately I was at work yesterday and couldn't make y'all's recording of the review Um, it was okay I think that's the general consensus is her performance is great and the movie is just kind of meh. I also think the costume work is very well done in it. I think that there's beyond just like her performance pieces, which are really nice. I think there's a lot of good like little costuming details that I took notice of, which probably shows that the script is not that good if I'm really noticing (laughs) costume (laughs) details. But I think that it gave me both more confidence in predicting her and also less since I'm like wondering how a movie this okay is going to sustain throughout the season. But I think that it's worth the performance alone and then kind of going from there. I'm a massive Judy Garland fan, lifelong fan, so I went into it with very, like, trepid, nervous expectations. So it kind of surprised me in that way, but I also thought that so a lot of the movie was kind of a mess. Yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. I 
think that a lot of the positive reviews for this movie are definitely focusing on Renee, and that's what's uh, attributed to the high Rotten Tomatoes uh, rating that the film has received. Personally speaking, though, um, I'm with you, Casey, in the sense of like, to me, this is very much like the Iron Lady, where the movie is just okay. And the central lead performance really makes it worth watching and obviously is pretty extraordinary um, and firmly plants Renee Zellweger um, either, I would say at this point, number one or number two in your yeah. predictions for the Best Actress Prize at this point. All righty. Uh, moving on. Lauren, what did you catch up on this week? So this week I also saw Judy and you could catch um, my thoughts on it on the podcast from yesterday. Yeah, we had a good discussion. Great discussion. It's basically the same thing that Casey said. It's a okay movie. It has a phenomenal leading performance in it, and that does sell the tickets. But at the end of the day, it is just a mediocre biopic that you've seen before and you will definitely see again. And I just feel that someone like Judy Garland deserves something just a little bit better, and I kind of expected more and I kind of wanted more. But I will say that it does have its moments, and I will say Renee Zellweger is at the top of my list and I can't wait to see her campaign and I do want and she does deserve everything that she's getting because it is a phenomenal performance all right all right Tom what about you uh I also saw Judy um and uh, I agree with everything that both Lauren and Casey have said it's um I, I saw the play and and the play is is kind of mediocre too so she didn't have a whole lot of great material to work with but uh you know, boy, she she makes the most of what uh, what she's been given, which is is terrific. I, I also share Casey's worry that it's going to sustain because it's this it's a long time to the Oscars, and um, you know, Glenn Close came close, but not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, no, it's great. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm just wondering whether, you know, there's, there might be some surprises coming up that might derail the campaign, but otherwise it's a great performance. Um, I also saw, finally saw Hustlers, not quite on the Jennifer Lopez Oscar nomination bandwagon quite yet. I have her around number seven, but, uh, she's the best reason to see it. And I think people should see it for her because she's really kind of, I, I don't want to say she's a revelation because we've always known that she was good, but she's never been given this kind of material uh, very often, and uh, she really, really makes the most of it. Um, for uh, two quick things, um, for people who are interested in the best documentary race, it's a really good doc on Netflix called The Edge of Democracy about uh, the threat against democracy in Brazil. Uh, I know it sound, that sounds very dry, but it's a very, very good firsthand uh, look at uh, what, what's going on down there, and it is screwed up. And finally, I saw the um, uh, Nutcase movie of the year, uh, and I'm very late to it. I'm nine months late to it, but I finally saw Serenity. <laughs> yes. Oh my the gift that God. just keeps on giving. <laughs> it just does. I can't wait to see it again. I mean, I just wonder how did this get released? But it is fascinating, and uh, and in its own way, uh, really a unique uh, movie in the 2019. Uh, That's streaming right now, I believe, on Amazon Prime. Yeah. yeah. So for anyone that has not seen it yet, uh, definitely check it out because I'm telling you, that's like the best sit at home, low level investment. If you just want to be amused by something that is so awful, <laughs> that's, that's the one. <laughs> it's it's so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, really. 
Oh, that's Talk phenomenal. about a guilty pleasure. Yeah. Uh, all right, cool. Josh Parham, what about you? Yeah, I've caught up on a, a few titles this week. Uh, I did see Judy, like everybody else did, and like everybody else, I would basically agree that Renee is pretty good in the movie, but she's in a film that's not very good. I think that the writing's actually pretty terrible in the film, but you, her performance does a lot to try to get you invested, and it doesn't really overcome the rest of the faults of the film, but I do agree that if you have any reason to see it, see it for her, and that would basically be it for her for that movie for me. Um, I did also finally see Ad Astra, which I loved. It's probably my favorite movie of the year so far. I think it is just so well done. It's very emotional and the performances are great and the kind of world that it builds I thought was really interesting. And I was just so invested in this film. I I think it is really something special for the year. And if you haven't seen it yet, I do urge everybody to go out and check it out. It's so, so good. I, I really loved it. And, and Josh, I'm just curious because uh, you were someone that I was waiting to hear a little bit of feedback about this on. Um, I don't know if you listened to our review, but my my two criticisms of the movie, because I really, really wanted to love it, but I could only settle for like, was just the underutilization of some of the supporting cast. And um, I could not help but shake this feeling of, of studio meddling in terms of um, some action set pieces that were thrown in that didn't really contribute to the plot or the narrative, really. And I'm just curious, like, because I've noticed a lot of critics are kind of brushing those criticisms to the side and giving this this movie, like, raves. And I just want to know, like, how you feel about that. Well, I think that with the supporting characters, yeah, they're not that well developed. I will grant you that. I think that it doesn't bother me that much because I'm so invested in this central story with the Brad Pitt character that it's sort of okay for me because – Everybody else in the movie just sort of serves the purpose of just getting him further through his own personal journey for me. And, you know, it's got good performances from those people. And while I do wish that obviously we could all see more of Donald Sutherland and Ruth Negga in a movie, I think that the film's focus being strictly on Brad Pitt and his character's journey was enough justification for me to not get that much from anybody else, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. And... I'm also curious to know, too, how do you feel about Brad Pitt in the Best Actor conversation? Because personally speaking, I know that the buzz and the push is not there right now. But objectively, I think this is a much better performance than what he does in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I agree. Yeah. And I think that he's good in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But I think his performance in Ad Astra is so much more layered and interesting. And I find him a much more compelling figure in Ad Astra I think the way that the Oscar race is going to shake out, though, is that the Ad Astra performance is going to be used as fuel to ignite the buzz more so for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which, you know, it is what it is. But I would definitely do prefer the performance in Ad Astra. Okay, All right. Uh, So NYFF started. um, Well, it actually started for critics uh, two weeks ago, uh, but it officially kicked off uh, this Friday with the world premiere of The Irishman. Uh, In the lead up to that, um, I've seen a couple of NYFF titles. Um, I haven't seen as many as I wanted to. Um, I will be seeing one later today uh, called Synonyms. And I'll be seeing stuff like Beanpole and The Traitor and a few others in the days to come. Uh, but one I did see, finally, finally, my God, finally, I had like three opportunities to see this movie this year. And I finally saw it on the fourth opportunity was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. 
And I have to say, it is just as gorgeous as we all said it would be. It is a really, really well done film. And I really got lost in it. It's very um, transfixing, hypnotizing, and you really get lost in it while watching it. It's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. Um, it's a bummer, though, that the movie is not selected as the best international feature uh, contender by France this year. Um, it did go to Les Miserables, which admittedly I haven't seen yet. Um, but I also hear is good, and I'm sure it's a Sophie's Choice scenario between the two. But to me, it seems like the buzz is with Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Um, so I, I question the decision in that regard. But after seeing the film, I wouldn't be surprised if it shows up in maybe a cinematography or a costume uh, nomination. It's what it deserves. <laughs> Not to mention, too, we saw so much, uh, you know, praise. I'm sorry. So we saw so much, so many nominations last year get thrown towards uh, international feature uh, contenders that I think it's totally within the realm of possibility if the buzz uh, sustains. Yeah. I was just going to say that it might be good news for Neon so that because they have both Portrait of Lady on Fire and Parasite. So they only have to worry about one campaign for international feature now. Yeah. It's true. Uh, I also saw Jojo Rabbit, uh, which I loved. I loved it. I understand the. I understand where people are coming from in terms of the comedy not working for them and the satire maybe not clicking. I get it. I totally understand it. And I don't think it is at the same level as something like a Green Book or Three Billboards in terms of how much this level of um, mixed reception will affect it. I do think that this film, more so than those other two, I think is a general crowd pleaser in a way that, I don't know, I, I, I don't know, to me it just seemed so much more accessible. Um, and it, it's technically well made, it's hilarious, it's very heartfelt, it's cute. Roman Griffin Davis is like the discovery of the year and he's going to like get so many breakthrough actor awards. It's going to like rival, I think, Jacob Tremblay levels of praise probably from Room. So, I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out. But after seeing it, yeah, I could totally understand why, um, despite the mixed critical reception, this could still very realistically squeak into best picture screenplay and a few other things for sure. You think it can win any of those categories? I think it could win screenplay right now. Screenplay is a tough category right now. But I, I'm, I'm not saying it will. I'm, I'm, it could. Yeah. Well, everything's yeah. good at this point. Yeah. Right, right. I'm not ready to declare anything just yet. But I would not be surprised if this definitely goes all the way in terms of the uh, best picture race. And as, not as far as a win, but nomination. I know we were a little shaky there for a while based on the reception, but... I mean, guys, come on. If Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Vice could get nominations, this is like a slam dunk, in my opinion. Oh, don't remind me. <laughs> Getting triggered. Well, something I am going to continuously remind you all about is uh, Martin Scorsese is a fucking legend. He is a god. And <laughs> he proved that once again. Um, I was very fortunate enough to see the first screening of The Irishman Friday morning with a tremendous amount of press. It was easily the biggest premiere I've ever been to. People flew in from everywhere specifically just to see this. I mean, they had to put it in in, a, in the larger theater in New York to fit the amount of press that were at this screening. Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Martin Scorsese. 
it just doesn't get any better than this, guys. <laughs> it, it, like, if you grew up, it, like, if you're, in, if you're, like, in our age range, um, you know, and Tom, I, I mean, this probably, you know, no, fuck it. It's not an age range thing. It, apl- it applies to everyone. This is something special. <laughs> Whether you grew up with it or you lived through it, this era of the collaboration between uh, Pesci, De Niro, Scorsese, and... You know, obviously Al coming up through that same time period in very similar uh, films, but never working with Scorsese. Just the the star power of this all coming together is something really special and extraordinary on the level of something like an Avengers Endgame, uh, you know, in terms of just the sheer size of it for cinephiles. You know what I mean? Just in a totally different realm. Um, And the movie itself, it's... It's unlike anything that he's done before. Yes, it is another gangster film, but I would say that it's the kind of film that only he could make at this point in his life. I don't think a young a young director could make this movie uh, the same way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the movie is very much about uh, mortality and legacy and uh, looking back on the past. And there is this like meta commentary going on while watching it where you know that the people involved are thinking this, the characters themselves in the movie are also doing this, and the audience then is also doing this with everybody involved. And it just, it's got kind of this level of, I, I think, just sheer nostalgic importance to it based on the people involved. There is absolutely, I think, no way this does not become an across-the-board Oscar contender. I, I just, I cannot see that happen. It, it's it's probably going to get maybe the most nominations on the morning, I think. Mm. Now, I do have one question for you. Yeah. What do you think of the, the visual effects in the film? Do they hold up uh, as well as we are hoping that they would? In the beginning, I would say like, like, like literally the first shot of it, it's a little jarring at first. But when you see it in motion... And considering how much of the film, I would say like a good, I don't know, like two hours of the film features it before they abandon it altogether. I mean, there's just so much of it that you stop uh, noticing it and you just kind of get lost in it. I would say more so than anything, it wasn't so much the skin uh, visual effects that uh, were a distraction. That looked great especially joe pesci joe pesci was like unbelievable to me uh but what they do with robert de niro's eyes is they really punch up the blue because the character he's playing had blue eyes and de niro uh does not and there are times where the blueness just it's a little too much i feel like sometimes but man oh man it, it it's pretty extraordinary to watch goodfellas casino robert de niro in this movie and then see him transition into how De Niro looks today and then they apply makeup in the third act to age them up into their 80s and I mean like it, it, it's really it's it's incredible I'm, I'm like I'm not gonna sit here and deny it it blew me away all right well I see it next month and I cannot wait to check it out myself yeah I can't wait to get on a train to go into New York City to see it yeah <laughs> by Long Island are, are there any other uh, supporting performances that uh, stood out to you? Oh, I think that we all need to put Al Pacino in supporting actor. Okay. Like, now. Uh, I, I talked to a lot of people who all said that he was the standout. Um, some people definitely uh, raved about Joe Pesci as well. Pesci plays against type. Uh, he doesn't have, like, the 
angry, uh, outbursting, you know, swearing uh, performance that he does in like Goodfellas or Casino. Um, mm. He plays a more silent character, which was very interesting. Uh, Al Pacino has the scene stealing, uh, scenery chewing role in this film for sure. And I think that that is something that's going to, um, especially considering, you know, he hasn't been nominated in quite some time. I think this is definitely something that could bring him back. And it just reminds people of what an incredible actor he is. Ditto for De Niro. I think this is his strongest work in forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> even more so than like things like Silver Linings Playbook, which he did get a uh, nomination for. Mostly because, though, what De Niro is doing in this movie is also radically different. Um, he, too, is not doing his... Um, angry outbursts or anything like that. Like this is a very internally reserved performance from him that is very subtle. And there are some scenes where uh, like there's one scene in particular involving him where he's talking to somebody over the phone. And the scene just kind of reminded me in terms of like just the, the reserved power of the emotion in something like Manchester by the Sea and that scene with Casey Affleck and Michelle Williams towards the end where they're mm-hmm. both trying to talk to one another, but they're struggling to get the words out. Like, De Niro has that kind of a scene, and it, the camera just stays on his face the entire time, and it's just, it's really, really great work from him. I would not be surprised if um, some Academy nostalgia carried him through to a Best Actor nomination. Um, although, I think Pacino has the best chance out of all of them. Nice. I can kind of get that feeling even by watching the trailer that Pacino had a really juicy role. So I'm excited to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that this is definitely the real deal. And three and a half hours. Uh, a lot of people ask me about this, too. And I will admit that the I would say for I would say for the three hours, for the three hours, the movie does have the engaging vibe of something like Goodfellas. Okay? You guys following me with that? Yeah. It's not as kinetic in terms of the camera movement and stuff. Um, There's a little bit of that, but just just the way Thelma Schoomaker edits the film, I mean, it's just it's radically entertaining and engaging throughout. When you do cross the third hour and you get into the final half an hour, that's when the pacing of the movie um really slows down the editing slows down everything just slows down but that final third act of the film is extraordinary and it really really elevates the film i think to the level of praise that people are heaping on it um and that's where it becomes something radically different and very very special um so you feel it you feel the length towards the end of the film but you don't feel it in a negative way you feel it in the way that you're supposed to and how it links thematically to the story that Scorsese is telling okay I could work with that (laughs) (laughs) as long as like the time frame like fits the story I'm cool with it I don't want to like when movies like cross that line of you know the three hour epic sometimes you could tell like it's just three hours to say like hey it's a three hour movie but if it works for the story then I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some that go that long and it, it didn't work for me. Like, has anyone here ever seen Nixon uh, by Oliver Stone? Oh, yeah. Like, that's one that's like radically long that doesn't work for me, you know? But like a film like, uh, say, another Oliver Stone film like JFK, uh, which is over three hours long, like that one really works for me. 
you know, because the energy is just kind of kept up throughout the movie and stuff. I, I think Scorsese pulls that off here, uh, minus the third act, which, I, I like I said, I, I, it, I have no problems with it. I think it's the best part of the movie. So I, I'm, I'm hesitant to say masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people were saying that right away. Um, I was hesitant uh, because I went in thinking this is either going to be like The Godfather, where we're all going to walk out and say it's one of the greatest movies ever made. Or we're going to walk out saying it's like Gangs of New York, where it's an admirable swing and a miss. Instead, it was somewhere in the middle, uh, something like a Once Upon a Time in America, where it's ambitious, it's sprawling, it gets mostly everything right with a few things off here and there. Uh, but on the whole, there's just this tremendous amount of admiration, respect, and God help me, like I said, it's not just another Casino or Goodfellas. This is something really different. So right. I really appreciated that. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yay. Any other questions or? Well, do you have this, um, like, actually winning anything? I know you said that you feel like it's an across-the-board contender. Do you think that there's anything that you think that it could actually contend to actually win in? So I was talking uh, with Netflix's uh, PR team, and... They uh, they posed a question to me that I thought was very interesting, and I'm going to pose the same thing to you guys right now. Other than Parasite, which I think we can all agree is probably the most critically beloved film of the year, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. Other than Parasite, what else has the same level of, of enthusiasm and love that Marriage Story and The Irishman have right now? Boy, Netflix has it all. <laughs> Maybe Little Woman when that comes out. And they said to me, we believe we have the number one and number two films in the race this year. Like, we are competing against ourselves. And I was, I, I literally took a step back and I was like, holy shit, you're right. <laughs> you know, the only thing that I think could still make a play in this race, though, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think that we should count that out as a contender either. And especially because, you know, Netflix, yeah, they have a lot of stuff on their plate and... That you know, you do have to take that into account that they're going to have to be juggling multiple campaigns, and Sony really only has Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Like that's pretty much the the big thing for them. And I do wonder if them having a very concentrated campaign on just a single film will be easier for them to get to the finish line. And I that's just something I do wonder about. The strategy this year with Netflix is they are giving an equal push to Marriage Story and Irishman, mm -hmm. and this way, like. They, they are very aware that Marriage Story is going to contend above the line. Irishman will contend um, across the board. Yeah. And if they push both equally, they're going to walk away with wins in multiple categories. And that doesn't just extend to just those two films either. They also have the two popes, mm -hmm. which they're, which they're now since the reception from uh, some of the film festivals, kind of surprised a little bit um, in terms of the enthusiasm. They're giving a greater push to that. And believe me when I tell you guys, they are going for it with Eddie Murphy in actor as well for my uh for dolomite is my name and uh of course uh Rufy carter for costumes um the, the the way they said it to me was we have four really solid contenders for like best actor with de niro driver uh murphy and um price and they're giving equal pushes to all four of them and Whatever happens on nomination morning happens. I, you know, I told them, I'm like, the odds of you guys getting all four in are pretty much almost impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Three, uh, I mean, that mm -hmm. would be extraordinary. I think you're going to get two. Two. And, yeah. you know, 
it's it's one of those things where uh, they are going to just give an equal push to everything and they're going to win. You know what I mean? Like they're going may not win. I don't mean in terms of win win. I mean, in terms of like the nominations, like they're going to get the nominations. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is definitely Netflix's seasons to lose. Yeah, 100 like, percent. But I also they got a lot to prove. Yeah. I also wouldn't count out Little Woman in the race. I don't see them like for like categories like best actor, best supporting actor. That's obviously like I don't see that happening. Mm-hmm. But I do think on paper it can be really strong. And I know it comes out really late, so we're not going to see it for a while. But I really wouldn't count out Little Woman for competition. Yeah. yeah. I feel yeah. like same with 1917 with like there's been some screenings and like the word of mouth has already started. So I think that that could definitely be obviously a below the line contender. But as far as like adding into that top of the year list, that could factor in. I agree. I think 1917 is definitely the uh, film along with The Irishman will take away like the text. So, Josh, you were asking me before um, in terms of wins. Right now, personally, I would move The Irishman into number one for picture um, Mm -hmm. and Scorsese number one for director just at the moment because, and this is what I said, I said, I I think it's a default choice right now. I think it's a a default choice. Until everything screens and we get into the Critics Awards, um, I think that that is where we should be. Um, I wouldn't have it winning screenplay, but I think Steven Zalian is good for a nomination because there's just so much material um, and there's so much to adapt, obviously. And I mean, the film is never dull or anything like that. It's very colorful dialogue, as you would expect in a Scorsese crime film. Uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, I, I have winning editing. Okay. Okay. And I still do have the film winning visual effects and makeup. Now, do you have the... I think in particular visual effects, do you think it will win because you think it would be deserving or just because you imagine it'll be the only best picture nominee in the group? Um, I I definitely think the latter. Mm -hmm. And I also think um, if the Academy has kind of proven anything to us over uh, the years, it's even if it's not objectively the best visual effects, it's the movie they like the most. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it kind of seems like one of those contenders where it either is going to win or it's not going to get nominated. It kind of feels like it's one of those in that kind of gray area where, you know, the, if the effects, I'm assuming that they're not you know, big bombastic effects, they're very subtle. And sometimes that can work for that branch. And then sometimes they're like, no, you're too subtle, go away. So I, I, I do wonder if it is even going to cross the finish line to get nominated. That's fair. Completely understand. All right. Any other questions or? Let's just see the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I am just so ready to see it. Yeah. Are you guys going to see it in a theater or are you going to uh, Netflix Definitely. it? Hell yeah, yes. theater. Oh, yeah, it is playing at the Chicago Film Festival next month, so I will be seeing it there. Awesome. And uh, Josh, congratulations again for getting uh, uh, in as press for that as well. Oh, thank you. For everyone that's uh, wondering right now, I understand a three and a half hour runtime can be daunting. I promise you though that if you see this in a theater their experience will be so much more rewarding mostly because um there are some funny moments in it that i think uh will definitely play well with an audience so um there's that aspect but also too you're not going to check your phone in the theater mm-hmm. you're not going to get distracted three and a half hours at home there's a chance you'll pause it maybe go do something come back you just shouldn't do that to yourself i mean if, if you prefer that i'm not going to take that away from you but I mean, if you're really, really debating, I, I, I suggest going to see it in, in a theater if you can. Yeah, have that shared experience with an audience. It's a great feeling. And just pee beforehand, you'll be fine. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talking about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this stop, minutiacy Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I up. wonder shut who up. the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by the Moving on from that now, um, I want to talk about a film that's coming out this weekend. Uh, is The Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix as the titular role, as they say in uh, Lady Bird. <laughs> I love that meme. <laughs> Guys, there's been a lot of hype around this movie, and some of it not so good. And Warner Brothers is making a lot of moves with this, and I feel like the... I feel like the press relationship with this film has just been very well. It's, well, for one thing, it's been interesting, you know, to follow. It's <laughs> one way to put it. <laughs> uh, but with only a few days left to go before its uh, release, I just want to know uh, how you're all feeling about it. How you all feel about just the multitude of different things that have been said about the film um, and the takes that have been had. You know, what's everyone's thinking heading into its released this weekend exhaustion (laughs) (laughs) and i haven't even seen the movie yet and i'm already kind of exhausted from the discourse of it and i can only imagine what's going to happen when it actually comes out and the general public sees it and you know i think that it is a movie that obviously is generating a lot of discussion and a part of me is always going to be grateful for that we should have discussions about movies and about art even if it is um, you know, basically a comic book movie. And I think that's always going to be value, uh, valuable in, in the places that we do have these conversations. So I'm eager to see the movie and to participate in that conversation. And I just can only hope we could keep it civil, which is asking a lot, but <laughs> I will try to do my best at least on my part. Okay. Yeah. As like yeah, the like- token comic book girl on the team. As soon as I found out Joker was getting his own movie, I knew that there would definitely be backlashes concerning how like sensitive our society is right now and just how the character is and especially figuring out the origin or the inspiration from the comics that they're going to use in this movie. And people just need to be aware. I know like it's a tough subject, but like he is the most like cynical and he is the most iconic villain in the comic book realm like in general. So as long as we're aware that, you know, it's not, like, the direct, Warner Bros. isn't, like, giving us advice on, like, how we should deal with stuff. They're just talking about this really cynical evil, like, there's nothing in his soul. Like, he just wants to see people get destroyed. And as long as we understand they just have a good time with it, it could be okay. But I do understand that it's, we're in a sensitive time, we're in a hypersensitive time. And it was bound to happen. So they kind of did ask for it like they shouldn't be shocked to have this backlash because you're making a movie about the joker people are going to be upset about certain things that you do if you're going to do the character justice you know there's a lot that's been talked about in terms of filmmaker responsibility and accountability and things of that nature and 
I know that uh, a lot of the interviews that Joaquin gave before the film's premiere at Venice that aired uh, a little later where he got a little upset. He walked out on the interviews when asked about um, certain ramifications that the film might have. I think it's very, very clear that everyone involved with the making of the film, this was not their intention. And instead, I think we need to be looking at this from a different perspective of the film is trying to hold up a mirror to what our society really has uh, become. And I know that that's ugly and I know people don't want to like, you know, admit to that or even confront that. But I don't know when, when we start getting into a conversation about art being censored and uh, the types of stories that we should be allowed to tell and things of that nature. I do think it's a slippery slope that leads to um, more censorship uh, down the line, because if we allow for one thing to happen, then what's next? I think if the intent is there on the filmmakers, um, they should not be I don't, I don't think they should be blamed in terms of, you know, anything that happens as a result of it. I think that that's a, a blame on society itself. Um, now, granted, when the film, you know, gets seen by everybody and it has been seen by a couple of people so far, we're always free to dissect the movie however we want. We're allowed to say it was bad. We're allowed to say it was good, so on and so forth. But if they publicly come out and say, this is not our intent, then you then just saying, well, you guys should be more responsible and, you know, and so on and so forth. I I mean, I don't know about that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. like you're basically calling them liars at that point. Well, I always, I always think that in conversations like this, it is always important to understand, you know, there is a filmmaker intent, obviously, behind every movie, but a film will always exist in a world outside of intention. You know, that is always going to be present as well. And right. we shouldn't shut down those conversations either about, you know, what movies have in terms of their themes, whether or not the filmmakers intended to make those relevant in the work that they're presenting. And while I do agree with you that not everything should be, you know, like not every piece of art should be blamed for the ills of the world. I don't agree with that and shutting and shutting it down and censoring them. I also don't think we should then eliminate the conversations about the art itself, though. And I've no, seen a lot of, God, no. But I have seen a lot of people kind of come to the table and almost want to just say, oh, the Joker is just going to be a comic movie. And that's all that we should look at it as. And, you know, art should be more than that as well. And we should have the conversation about what it's actually saying about society and whether it does endorse some things or not. And I think it's also important that we should bring that to the table as well, because it's necessary to have that dialogue with any piece of art that's in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. I think that just in general, like dis uh, discussing art, you know, I think it's very uh, unusual that we're living in a society now where uh, when thought provoking art, things that uh, disturb, things that challenge us, uh, it seems like everybody either wants to stay clear of the conversation when really that's the most fascinating conversation to have as well. Um, I think that having a discussion with someone, a mature, civilized discussion about uh, fundamental disagreements on something is so much more rewarding than all of us getting on this show and saying, well, we all loved it. Yeah, wasn't it great? Oh, it was excellent. You know, and, you know, that has its time and its place as well for some movies. And that's all well and good. Sure. But I think the times where we all disagree and we're all coming at something from different perspectives that that's the most rewarding part of doing this at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned. So I think you need movies 
such as this, and you need movies like, uh, you know, I'll just name a couple more uh, off the top of my head here. You need movies like Jojo Rabbit, or you need movies like, um, uh, I know this was last year, but maybe something like uh, Lars von Trier's The House That Jack Built, and like things of that nature. Um, Now, God forbid, if something in the world uh, happens as a result of this movie, and there is a direct tie that, you know, it's irrefutable. Uh, you know, no one ever wishes that, obviously. And I think that the way that the, you know, that everyone's been building this up and talking about this so much, I, I'm, I'm afraid that there's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that is happening where I started to ask myself and started to wonder, what if like no one at all ever even brought this up? Because I feel like the more it gets brought up, the more you're just planting the idea in someone's mind out there to actually do this. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Where if it wasn't brought up at all, you know, I, I mean, I understand the intent is good and everything, but that's what worries me even more so. It's a very, very tricky. Uh, it's a very, very tricky conversation to have. And what I'm what I'm grateful for at the end of the day, no matter how I feel about the film, I haven't seen it yet. I'll see it this week is I'm glad that it at least brings in uh, a conversation. You know what I mean? And there's yep. something to actually discuss about it. And it leads to a discussion about other things as well. And uh, at the end of the day, um, like I said, that's that's fascinating. I think that's good. <laughs> Which is what's great about film. The whole point of film and like visual storytelling is to reflect human society back towards us. And it's the good and the bad. So we have to, if we're praising all the good, we also need to show the dark and twisted messed up part of society and the messed up part of our human lives and what makes us human beings. So we should show that. So I think that's important that films like this are getting made and we are talking about it because I think they're just as important. Absolutely agreed. I think that's a, that's a great point. Um, it's been a long time since we've had a film coming out that, um, is so, let's see the word provocative, but let's do that right now. I, I, on this level, um, yeah, we, we, yeah. we do have a lot of films. Like I said, The House That Jack Bell came out last year and also brought up a lot of discourse. But that was a small movie compared yeah. to this. Like, this has a high yeah. profile. Yeah, that's not going to get the uh, attention this this one is going to get. Um, there, there have been pictures like this in the past um, that have, um, uh, you know... Taxi driver. Some of these same questions. Clockwork Orange. <laughs> yes, for example. But there wasn't Twitter and there wasn't fan uh, film Twitter back then and uh i mean some of the uh, i'm i'm it's going to be very interesting when the reviews come out are the people who are not going to like the film get lambasted or threatened on film twitter i don't i don't know um i'm a little nervous about that i've already seen that happen uh in some cases and i think it's outright disgusting and revolting in so many ways I, I don't understand. Like, you can like a film or not like a film and, you know, still be civil at the same time. I, I don't understand. This whole cancel culture thing and everything else, like, when it, like people just jump into these rash decisions or, um, you know, labeling someone a certain way based on their taste. Yeah. I, I just, like, I, I, I don't understand it. I think it really upsets me. Genu- genuinely, it really upsets me. I think we can all have a good conversation, a productive, healthy conversation Um, And I hope to God, I hope that when we review this movie, that someone on the team has like a negative viewpoint on this movie so that we can have this discussion. Yeah. Well, I mean, I honestly, I think the best movies out there are ones that are a bit divisive because I think 
the great movies out there should be the ones that challenge you and have really interesting conversations. And you can't do that if unless you have different opinions about it. Right. Hello, everyone. This is Ryan L. Terry, screenwriting lecturer, film critic, and yeah, even figure skater. Known by my monikers Podstitute and Podhopper, you may have heard me on some of your favorite shows such as Mike, Mike, and Oscar, One Movie Punch, In Session Film, Blockbuster Mentality, Movie Geek and Proud, Just So You Know, and more. And I would love to sit down with you on your show. Whether we are talking about my area of expertise, the American horror film, chatting about what we are watching on TV, or diving deep into a classic or underrated film, I would love to make time for you. You can follow me on Twitter at RLTerry1 and on my blog at RLTerryRealView.com. That's real with two E's. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting with you soon. Uh, this week's poll is all about Joaquin. Last week's poll was about Renee Zellweger. We asked everyone which is their favorite Renee Zellweger performance. The results are in, and we have a top five. All right. At number five, we have Renee Zellweger in Nurse Betty, which placed a lot higher than I thought it would. Yeah. She's good in that. She's great. I agree. She's just phenomenal. Uh, number four, we have Cold Mountain her Oscar-winning role. Number three is Jerry Maguire. Number two, Bridget Jones's Diary. And number one, Roxy Hart, Chicago. Which yeah. would have been my vote, too. Yeah. Uh, Judy uh, was in sixth place. Uh, obviously, maybe not enough people have uh, seen it yet. I think, obviously, it's probably near the top now that more people have seen it. Uh, but... Those were the results for last week. This week, we are asking everyone their favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance. So many great performances, so many to choose from, obviously. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> uh, somebody help me here. Is there anything that Joaquin Phoenix has done that has really stood out to you? First thing that came to my mind is her. Yeah. Yeah, I think because it's just so different Yeah. Uh, in yeah. many ways. It's nice to see Joaquin just being light and... Mm -hmm. Not yeah, it, yeah. There is a quality to that uh, that sweet and tender performance that he gives in that. That is something that's very unique in his filmography. I definitely yeah. do really love that performance. I do think though that my vote would have to go to the master. Hell that, yeah, me my too. Six right there. <laughs> I remember walking out of the master and just first of all just loving the movie altogether, but really feeling like his performance was something really truly special. And it is probably the performance that I think about like the most in terms of best of the decade. I think that it is yes. phenomenal work that he yeah. does in that film. Josh, I think that his performance in the master, I remember, I remember my feeling walking out of that was to me, I think the greatest like male performance I've ever seen is Robert De Niro and raging bull. But I think what, what Joaquin did in the master is literally like an all timer. Yeah. And if it had come out any other year, cause unfortunately it came out the same year as Daniel day Lewis and Lincoln. I, I think he would have just swept everything that year um that was a very difficult and challenging movie for a lot of people though and i can understand why the academy didn't go for it especially when they had daniel day lewis right there with truly an astonishing performance in lincoln yeah. no no disrespect to that whatsoever but i'm with you in that i think the master is not just the best work that he's ever done but i literally think it's one of the all-time great performances from anyone period yeah it, it to me is like the work of if you just say Joaquin Phoenix, like that is the role that immediately comes to mind. It's like defining of his entire career for me. 
it's 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 a it's really it's it's a towering performance, and uh, I I I would just like to go a little lower in terms of a small performance he did. Uh, I really like him in James Gray's Two Lovers. Yeah, he's yeah. It's, it's very subtle work, and I don't want to mean I don't mean uh, say small in derogatory terms. It's very contained, and uh, it's amazing that he can do big work like the master and mm-hmm. then also turn around and do this. It's, it's, it's an extraordinary career. He's just is so talented and uh, I can't wait to see what he does with Joker. You know, it's, I was thinking about this the other day. I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, it's amazing how influential his performance in gladiator has become on. Uh, if you watch a lot of like medieval um, like epics, so even like game of Thrones to a certain extent with like the character of Joffrey Baratheon, like, that just like sniveling, uh, prissy, like just very weak, but like annoying character and power like that, I, I think is something that uh, I've seen other actors do. Um, Oscar Isaac and like Robin Hood, I think, gave like something very, very similar, if I recall uh, correctly. Tried. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I, I can't remember um, before that, uh, that kind of a performance uh, being given on the same way that uh, that he did there. And I think it's actually been a little influential in that regard. Yeah, him and Gladiator really does feel like a performance that has gotten more appreciated as time has went on. And I think people recognize the really great work that he was doing in that film. And I agree with you. It's such a really good performance, too. Yeah. He is easily one of the most talented actors of his generation. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. oh hands like, down. Easily. Which is why I currently have him in my number one slot to win best actor this year i would love that like even things with like walk the line like he does things that are just so diverse like if you look at his filmography like he covers almost every like version of like a character and it's scary and it's cool and it's crazy to see that he can do like these really aggressive things and like really bratty characters and like these really shy and quiet characters and the fact that he could just do all of that seamlessly and you believe it with in the first shot of him is astonishing like it's why acting is so cool i guess or like that's why you know he's meant to do this job and it's just cool to watch i remember i was like scared to death when he took a hiatus <laughs> and i was like oh my god please like you have so much more left to give like yeah. don't go away <laughs> and uh thank god he came back uh because i think that some of the work that he's uh done since coming back um which by the way was like a hoax retirement yeah. uh f- yeah. if you all remember for uh, i'm mm-hmm. still here uh you know the stuff he's done since then her the master you were never really here really yeah. in her advice i mean like i just think that he's literally i think he like is in the prime of his career right now um and he's completely untouchable i think you know, I just want to just give another quick shout out to a movie that uh i don't know if a, a lot of you guys have seen but i think he's also really good in um the yards Another uh, James Gray film. Have you guys seen that one? No, I've not seen it. I've not seen it either. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I mean, he's also in The Immigrant. Um, I, I, oh. I mean, what was another one he was in with him? Uh, the Cop one. Oh, God. With uh, Mark Wahlberg. Real in the Night? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, it, I, I think it's interesting that he's worked with James Gray uh, as much as he has. It almost makes me wonder if he uh, wasn't doing Joker, if he would have done Ad Astra. You yeah. Know? That would have been yeah. interesting. Yeah. I would have. In any event, though, uh, tell us your favorite Joaquin Phoenix performance. You could choose up to three. Uh, we'll reveal the 
results for that on next week's show. Uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about a trailer that debuted this week for A24's Uncut Gems from the Safdie Brothers starring Adam Sandler in what is, to me, because I saw the film at Telluride, I think it's the best work that he's ever done. I want to get everyone's opinions on this trailer, though. Let's take a look at it. Let's see what we think. I made a crazy risk to gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. What is that? I started this. You're taking my money all over town, placing bets. I'm having very serious second thoughts. Are you serious right now? I know I fucked up. Howard, where's the money right now? Howard, got my money? Howard! Is it too late? I'm done. That means nothing. It meant nothing. Please. Give me another shot. You like to win, right? This is no different than that. Black June power, nigga. This is my fucking way. You think I'm stupid, Howard? You and your whole fucking family. I heard you resurface your fucking swimming pool. I, you know how that makes me feel? Never resurface you anything. More important than my I don't life. know who said that. I told you about how things were going to go. You like the way things are going now? That's my family. Get the kids out of the house. You having a good time? Yes. This is me. This is how I win. JJ, it's game night. You should be stretching out. What is it, your coach? Nah, you're just a fucking crazy ass Jew. You know, I think that this movie, I am very interested in seeing it, and I've been hearing a lot of great things about Sandler, and that is getting me interested as well. There is something about this, though, that I've also been hearing that just sounds like it's a very aggressive movie. And it sounds like it might be a bit exhausting to watch. And I will say that particular element that does kind of come through in this trailer is something I'm not particularly looking forward to. You are, in my opinion, 100 percent correct. Yeah, because <laughs> mm -hmm. that's why I am not particularly high on the film. I and I, I questioned if it was just the way the sound was in the theater when I watched it. It was pummeling how loud the movie was. And. Absolutely. Everyone told me that that's by design, uh, kind of like in the same way, like Interstellar's uh, sound mix. A lot of people had a lot to say about that. I think that, you know, this is definitely intentional on the Safdie brothers part. And this was just one of those scenarios where it's like, I, I still appreciate the Safdie brothers. I think the craft that they bring to their films is really, really extraordinary on the independent filmmaking scene. And I still very much look forward to everything that they do. This is a movie I will definitely rewatch. Um, I will just prefer to watch it, maybe not in a theater, but at home instead with subtitles 
because there is so much of this movie that I did not catch because of just overlapping dialogue, characters constantly just screaming at each other, and just how loud and grating it was. It was not a pleasant uh, viewing experience for me. Yeah, not having seen it, I, I just was the trailer is my first ex, uh, exposure to it. I was struck about how naturalistic Sandler's performance is, mm-hmm. as opposed to some quote unquote character parts that he does. Uh, I, I think it's probably the most naturalistic thing I've seen him do since uh, Punch Drunk Love. And um, I, I'm actually looking forward to it, though I'm not looking forward to the sound. It's interesting how I feel like the word of mouth out of Telluride versus TIFF was like almost very different. And I almost like wrote it off and then everybody out of TIFF was like kind of losing their minds and like same with the trailers. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm very excited by it. I, I don't do well in high stress <laughs> movies. <laughs> So I'm I'm nervous about that, but I think I think I'll be okay. And then I I, I liked this trailer a lot. I've I've watched it a couple times. So I love the trailer. Uh, for the I record, like I love the way the trailer is cut, and I love the music. Uh, the music in the movie is awesome. I cannot wait for the soundtrack to come out. Um, I, I I'm with you though in that I I overheard when I was at Telluride somebody say uh, comparisons to a serious man. Uh, the Coen Brothers film in the sense of like nothing is going well for this guy and this guy just has like the worst luck on the face of the planet (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that does add to the anxiety while you're watching it Um, it's just like this incredibly anxiety inducing uh, crash and burn of this guy just spiraling downward and it's it's fascinating to watch and I'm telling you like Adam Sandler I want to be able to say that he has best actor uh, potential with this I really really want to because it is the best thing I've ever seen him do I just don't think that this is an academy friendly film and I don't see them going for it however critics are really really taking to it you know yeah. Yeah. And, and just to comment too on what you're saying about Telluride versus Tiff I think part of that is at Telluride critics definitely were enthusiastic about the film with a few dissenters me being one of them uh, the people that I think didn't like the movie were more so the general patron uh, audience members. Mm, yeah. Mm. Like, this is not a movie I would ever show to, like, for example, like my parents or my grandparents. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. This is a cinephile lover movie. Um, and I think at TIFF, it definitely plays a lot better to that crowd. And I think it's going to play well to the New York uh, crowd yeah. as well because it was announced as the uh, NYFF secret screening this year. So. Yeah, no, this screams New York to me, 100%. And, you know, I have, like, my Italian New York part of me, like, totally represented in film. And it's kind of cool to see, like, the New York Jewish part of me, like, getting their own thing. And what you said of people just screaming and overlapping each other, like, that is my house growing up in high school. So (laughs) I am so used to it, and I'm really excited to see this guy just, like, have the worst luck in the world, because that is the Jewish New York experience. You're just like, what else can hit me? You're just, like, walking to see what happens. I think it film captures that very, very well. Uh, I do. Like I said, it's a movie that, upon initial viewing, um, my review is what it is, and Mm -hmm. I look forward to catching it one more time to see if I go another way or stay the same. I don't think I will go lower, but there is a chance I might go up with it. I just... And I'm curious to know what you, what your experience, uh, everyone here uh, with it is as well, uh, because I definitely think that it's a unique one this year for sure. Also with the Dina Menzel pressing for this and Frozen 2 at the same time is the funniest thing ever. Hell yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, it's awesome. I just can't wait to use the uh, Adam Sandler gif on uh, Twitter for the, to the end of time of him just going, I disagree. 
That's the best. Uh, all right. All right. So we come now to the last portion of the show here. Fan questions. Uh, a couple of things that we have probably already touched on, but let's see what we didn't get a chance to touch on here. We have quite a lot to go over. So let's see here. What do we got? Ooh, okay. Controversial one. Let's ask it. This one comes from Kenzie Vanunu. Do you think anyone will bring up that in one of the lawsuits brought up against Casey Affleck that Joaquin was named as participating in one of the harassments? I only ask as Joker seems to be stirring Twitter's pot already, would this add to it? Obviously, the suits were only filed against Casey, but this one instance, Joaquin is accused of participating. This obviously didn't block Casey Affleck from getting the Oscar at the end, but it did put a cloud around him and his win. What do you think? I mean, I definitely think that if like, if he starts winning a lot of things and like people want to bring up backlash, I think that could definitely, like I could see the think pieces coming out about that. You know, I think it could definitely play a factor. Yeah, I think there's so many other issues around Joker that this is not going to register. Agreed. I also think because he's not so much a central figure in it as much as Casey Affleck was, I think it will be looked on as just like, like, what do we do? Like, this is clearly like a smear attempt. Like, you know, people, I think, will see through it. Um, Yeah. And I'm not saying it should be dismissed. Obviously, yes, he was involved in such, and I'm not discrediting that or anything. But it will just, I don't think it will have as much credibility and weight to affect the campaign as uh, one might hope. Yeah, but like if he does end up like campaigning and end up getting nominated, someone's going to ask him. Oh, sure. I'm 100%. sure. Uh, this one comes from Jeffrey Kerr. Could you see Renee Zellweger this award season falling victim to the Academy never buying into these big comeback stories as we saw in recent years with Mickey Rourke, Michael Keaton, Sylvester Stallone all losing in the end? Yeah, I, That's a good observation. That is a good, a good comparison, yeah. Yeah. It's and, possible, but it's also different with women, I think. So I think, I think, A, I think the Academy loves Renee Zellweger to a T. Like, they'll not, she's definitely getting nominated. I think she also knows how to play the game really well. Like, she's already campaigning, and I don't see her stopping. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I do see her death. She's definitely in the top three for Best Actress. I can totally see her, because, like, again, this is a very early release for this film, for mm-hmm. the Academy. So I could totally see her dying down, especially with, you know, Scarlett Johansson or Saoirse Ronan. I, those are those the top three, I think, for me. Yeah. But I could still totally see her win. Yeah. I also still think that the other thing that Judy has to worry about is it really does seem like Renee is going to be the only thing that movie's going to get. And mm-hmm. I think you got to be careful if there's only a, if there's a movie out there and they've only got one nomination for their actor and that's it. You know, it shows that limited support for how much people want to throw around to that film. And I I worry about that as well for her chances. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure this movie is going to be in theaters by the time voting starts. Maybe. This one comes from Ian Balakalak. Who's the frontrunner for the best documentary feature category? I'm thinking it's either The Cave, One Child Nation, or American Factory. Uh, we did recently post our predictions up on the website. There's definitely a lot of interesting choices, and I think everyone is kind of going back and forth between a few different contenders at the moment. I think the question we all need to be asking ourselves here is what's going to be this year's Won't You Be My Neighbor or Jane where they just sweep the season and don't get a nomination Uh, because quite frankly, I'm starting to think something like Apollo 11 might fall into that category. Maybe. I think think Apollo 11 is the classic example of this because that is a documentary that people really like. 
but it has a thing that the documentary branch sort of doesn't like, which is it uses a lot of archival footage. Yeah, they hate that. Oh. Yeah. It's majority archival footage. Ex- exactly. And the documentary branch has shown that they just don't really like that for their films to be nominated. And I think that is that is the classic one to me where if it gets in, it could easily win, but it could also just as easily not get nominated. I just saw The Cave recently, and I actually think it's pretty extraordinary. And I do have it in my number one slot as of right now. Admittedly, I have not seen American Factory yet. Um, I have seen One Child Nation. I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I've seen that too. I think Biggest Little Farm is like the most like crowd-pleasing one of the year that I just absolutely adored. Yeah. Um, I could see that getting the Jane Won't You Be My Neighbor treatment also. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's tough. I think right now any one of us uh, could be right in our predictions. I, I'm not yeah. sh- I don't think there's a front-runner at all. No. And this has nothing to do with the quality of the film, but... Uh, um, the Obama's production company is behind American Factory, so that yeah, who knows? Yeah, maybe. And it's Netflix, which does pretty well in this category too. Uh, moving over to another category, uh, this one comes from uh, Whit Vestmeyer. Parasite, Pain and Glory, Les Miserables all seem to be locked for best international film. What else do you see rounding out the five? Um, I know a lot of us had Monos in our predictions. Yeah, I, I think that's more of a placeholder right now, though, for the time being. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I mean, I don't have it in there be- just because it just seems like, I don't know, I have trouble seeing if that's going to go the distance or not. And when I look at the lineup for at least what's been submitted so far, it, you kind of have to look to see, okay, what are some trends maybe that the that, that group has gone for in the past? And one that did pop up is a movie called Those Who Remained, which is a Hungarian film, I believe, that is about the subject of the Holocaust. And you hate to sound cynical, but those movies tend to do very well, especially in this category. So I think that's one to keep an eye out on. I also wouldn't be surprised if Weathering With You got a surprise nomination there. Yeah. Um, it could also show up in animated feature category as well. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that that is also uh, somewhere on the table, potentially. Mm-hmm. He's such a good filmmaker. I mean, yeah. he really deserves it. Absolutely. This one comes from Ali Goes West. Do you think any of these early Oscar contenders could get widowed and miss out altogether despite strong reviews and the cast involved? Um, Knives Out? Yeah. But I see that being like a... I I never had that in anything other than like screenplay, so I'm not too... You know, I'm kind of... I'm okay with that. I I, I don't think I have those expectations. I got to say, I got to say for the record, because I'm really disheartened by this. Um, I've talked to a lot of people, especially when I was in the press line at NYFF waiting to see the Irishman. The buzz on waves has completely died uh, post TIFF. And yeah, Telluride, it like exploded, but the momentum did not carry through TIFF. Um, and so I'm feeling I'm feeling less confident on, on on that now that more people are getting a chance to see it. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it, it really did feel like there was a discovery at Telluride that people re- were really excited about, and that did dissipate as it as more people did get to see it. Unfortunately, uh, this one comes from. Um Azor, yeah, Azor, Ohio on Twitter. What's looking like the most competitive category for the Oscars so far? I was thinking either original screenplay or lead actor. 
Um, so we all just redid our predictions, uh, just posted them on the site in all categories recently. What categories did you feel it was really, really hard to settle on a five because there was just such an abundance of riches? Honestly, director. Like, I think that I feel like Marty's kind of out front for the win, but like, I have like about 12 people that I want to put in there beyond just best, like who I have in best picture. And I feel like kind of overwhelmed by that of like, cause every time I like think I have a five and then I'm like, Oh, right. But there's this person. So I, I'm looking forward to, you know, precursors helping that out. Cause I'm kind of lost right now. <laughs> I also feel like supporting actor is a pretty fluid category right now yeah. where there seems like there's like some names that we can like settle on, but I still feel like there's a lot of wiggle room in there that I wouldn't be shocked if, like some of my lower contenders could sneak in there as well. Uh, I think supporting actor is the hardest for me right now. Yeah. There, I mean, but then again, there's also stuff that I'm not ready to rule out that others have ruled out. For example, like I'm not ready to rule out Sterling K. Brown for Waves. Um, I still think that that is something that could still happen despite um, some some of the more um, tepid you know reactions that we've heard that we just discussed a second ago. Um, Shia LaBeouf and Honey Boy. He's campaigning. Yeah. There is a narrative. It is going to a lot of festivals. I still think that's on the table. Uh, Willem Dafoe in the Lighthouse, even though that movie is pff, probably David Lynch's favorite film of the year. <laughs> and I'm sure nobody uh, is going to make it past maybe the first 15 minutes or so. I don't know. <laughs> I, I still have that on the table. You know, uh, there, there's a lot going on in that category that I'm not completely yet ready to write off, um, you know, and then I'm hearing stuff like, uh, oh, Rob Morgan is also competing along with Jamie Foxx for Just Mercy. And now with The Irishman, you got Pacino, you got Pesci. It's just like, yeah. holy shit. <laughs> a lot of boys. And then add Pitt and Anthony Hopkins and you got to. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. It's insane. I I just like I I was going. I must have shuffled around a bunch of people in and out of that five multiple times. <laughs> That's the category where it's like I could easily see we're gonna get a heartbreaking snub in that category. Uh, something that like lands at every precursor, and we're like, oh, yep, they're definitely in, and then they miss, and we're like, how did this happen? You know. Yeah. <laughs> they're known for the snubs of the Academy. I can't with them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this year, I think for my predictions, I'm going to predict one major snub in every single category this year. And I think I'll be right somewhere. So Ooh. we'll see. <laughs> Last question. This one comes from Adam Clay, aclay19 on Twitter. Do you think this will be the first year where all three movies that placed a TIFF for the People's Choice Award get a Best Picture nomination? Those three films being Jojo Rabbit, Marriage Story, and Parasite. I currently do. It's definitely possible. Yeah. I yeah, I... I don't know. I we'll we'll have to see. I, there's a very good chance that both or that all three can get in. Um, right now, I think I only have two, but it, it's hard. I still don't know what to do about Jojo Rabbit. I still think yeah. it's a big question yeah. mark for me. I, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm definitely Marriage Story, probably Parasite, uh, but Jojo Rabbit is kind of is, will it make eighth or ninth place? I think Jojo Rabbit has more of a chance than Parasite right now only because I could see Parasite going the way of Cold War last year as opposed to Roma. Mm, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, what are we discussing with Parasite? We're discussing four potential like nominations, right? Picture, director, screenplay, and international. Believe me when I tell you I would be 
over the moon if the film got a production design nomination, which would blow my mind. Uh, that would be like the coolest nomination. Yeah. Oh. I, I, and, and for the record, I hope that just even me just saying that right now, I hope that people start considering that because that is something that like I'm telling you guys, L.A. film critics, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Best production design winner of Parasite. People will be like, oh, OK, you know, um, that would be sick. But yeah, four potential nominations, and I think it could go the route of Cold War, where it gets in for director and the other uh, the other two, but miss out on picture. I think what's helping Parasite though is that it has been released earlier in the year, or at least people have been seeing it earlier in the year, and so it is going to have time to build up a lot of passion behind it. And like, I don't think any of us are considering that it's going to win Best Picture at least at this moment. But to get a nomination, to just get those you know, 300 or so votes to just qualify for that. I think that's very doable for them. Yeah, I think so. And, 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 and Josh, this is the kind of movie that stays with you. Yes, completely agree. I mean, even after seeing The Irishman, which I was sure would be a contender for my favorite film of the year, potentially, it was my most anticipated film. Probably I thought about this, literally the number one film I've been looking forward to the most this decade. Um, <laughs> the, the amount of just hype around this and like just being in that screening with everybody, I, I, it had all the makings to be my number one favorite film of the year. Guess what? Parasite is still number one for me. I mean, and everyone I've spoken to, literally every single person adores this movie. They have nothing but raves and positivity. And when we, when we discuss, oh, are there any flaws? People literally can't name a single thing that they find wrong with this film. I, For that reason alone, yes, I actually do have all three of the films getting a Best Picture nomination at this point. Because I, I just can't help but see how not enough people could put Parasite as number one on their ballot. I, I just, like, I can't. Yeah. All right. That's it. We are done this week. Um, before we go, want to give a quick shout out. Michael Schwartz, happy birthday to yeah. you. <laughs> not going to do any more than that. I'm not going to, you know, sing. Don't sing. <laughs> won't. <laughs> I won't. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, all, I'm all set over here. Has anybody got anything else to say before we go? No. Can't wait for uh, this last little bit of the year where we get some very interesting movies coming out. Yeah. Let's go back end. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, at this point, everybody has seen everything except for Little Women, 1917, Bombshell, and Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and Frozen right. Two. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess Frozen <laughs> Two. Sure. Yep. And Cats. What are we? Do- what are we talking oh. about? Oh my oh. God! You know, we did get a question about that, and uh, do that. <laughs> oh, Cats is winning Best Picture. <laughs> Listen, we did we did get a question about that. Uh, I I will I will say who it was from, and I will acknowledge it here. Isaiah Washington did ask us. In all seriousness, is there a world where Cats is actually a good movie than just uh, a bad trailer? I I uh, I, I don't no. know. I don't know. I, I don't want to live in that world. I will say this: I do have it in for a production design nomination at the moment. Yeah, I do too. But man, like. Tom Hooper and Andrew Lloyd Webber, that just is not a good combo for me in my mind. (laughs) It's just that the story doesn't work for the medium of film. It's that simple. And you can't try to force such a poetic and such a theatrical story that is cast into film that's so realistic. It just, it's not going to work. And I knew, I know that this was like an off the whim idea because this slot was supposed to be for the Wicked movie, but that always gets delayed. So they just put cats in, but it just, it doesn't 
it just doesn't fit in this world. And that's just that. Yeah, I think that like the Goldfinch, there are just some things that just don't translate well. Yeah. It'll be nice to, you know, have it exist and have it there. Uh, but I do find it very amusing that it has become such a punchline already. Uh, already, like when people are like, "Well, what's going to win Best Picture?" People are like, "Cats," and it's like they're saying it like they're not serious, you know. Um, but I, I will be—I sh- don't want to say shocked, but I'll, I'll definitely be curious uh, when those first initial screenings start um, if it starts to get better than average reviews. I'll be very curious to see if they... I don't think they will pull it off, but if they do pull it off, man, that would be crazy. Yeah, well, we'll wait and see on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Josh, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Lauren. You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Tom O'Brien. And anytime on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 161 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Rate us five stars. We really, really appreciate your support, which you can also lend over at Patreon. $1 minimum a month will get you some exclusive podcast content, including an upcoming review of The King of Comedy which we are recording this week and will be released on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that one. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.